Hello, this is James, and welcome back to The Word is Very Near You, my podcast about God's closeness in our everyday lives. I'm in the middle of a series on Lent called Bread and Wine. Bread and wine, of course, are the elemental symbols of communion, a sacrament which commemorates Jesus' suffering and death, suffering and death that resulted in the forgiveness of human sin. And the part of the series I'm in now is looking at the etiology of sin, that is, the beginning of sin. How did we get to this point in the first place? I'm looking at Genesis 3, the chapter we commonly refer to as the fall. And as we dive into the story in this chapter, really looking at the four questions God asked Adam and Eve after they have made their fateful decision to eat from the tree that God commanded them not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the question today is one that smacks of innocence and the loss of innocence. It's a question that reminds me of that famous song from the late 80s by Don Henley called The End of the Innocence. I was in college at the time, and I remember this song uh, very well. I remember talking about it with friends and what we thought it meant. The lyrics have a haunting, piercing beauty to them that speak of the loss of childhood ideals, the loss of sincere patriotism, the loss of a pure first love, the end of the innocence. It speaks of growing up and entering the real world, having your eyes open to the reality of the world around you and not living in some childlike fairy tale. In the song, The End of the Innocence is almost seen as a good thing, that it's a way of maturing and being real about what's going on in the world. And after all, this is the view that we tend to take as adults. At some point, we say things like, well, you have to grow up, you have to be real about things, you have to be an adult and put your big boy or big girl pants on and face reality. The End of the Innocence becomes a kind of code phrase for growing up and maturing and becoming an adult. However, in the original sense of that phrase, the end of the innocence, from a biblical perspective, it would have been better, much better for us, and certainly for Adam and Eve, had their innocence not ended. Because in the story that we're looking at, the loss of innocence is the loss of really everything, the loss of paradise, the loss of God's presence, the loss of intimacy with God and one another and the environment, the end of the innocence is not a good thing. It's not equated with growing up and maturing. It's equated with a loss of fellowship with God and each other. I'm focusing today on chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, which goes like this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? That's today's question. If you were with me last time, we looked at the first question, where are you? 
where are you, and all the ways that we hide from God and from each other and cower behind the trees in our life because we're afraid of being seen. We're afraid of our nakedness being exposed. So today we're looking more specifically at this theme of nakedness and what it means to be naked and afraid. There's a whole show about that now, right? Naked and afraid. And that's where Adam and Eve were at this point in the story. They were naked and afraid. And it's a jarring contrast from where they were just a few verses earlier. Chapter 2, verse 25. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And now they are naked and afraid and full of shame. It's staggering how far they have fallen in a few short verses. Adam and Eve have now sown fig leaves for themselves, presumably to cover their private parts. The preceding verse, verse 7, is very telling on this score. It reads, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So there's that primeval loss of innocence. Their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, so they made fig leaves to cover themselves. It's a beautiful story. It's a haunting story, the loss of innocence. For a long time in Western thought, too long actually, the common understanding of what was happening here was that Adam and Eve's loss of innocence was that they had sex. And sex became equated with the fall and the loss of innocence. And it's not surprising then how in certain denominations and traditions, how sex became problematic because sex was somehow tied up with the fall and disobeying God. And yet it's this deep impulse that we have is to have sex. And yet sex is somehow wrong. And that became very twisted, I think. And I would just want to say as clearly as I can here that that is not what's happening here. The fall is not about Adam and Eve having sex and somehow disobeying God. The fall was clearly about Adam and Eve disobeying the clear command of God to not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And tomorrow we'll look at the two trees and more about that command and the moral discernment that God was asking Adam and Eve to exercise. But I just want to say, again, as clearly as I know how, this is not about Adam and Eve having sex and therefore falling. I need to put that to rest from the get-go. So I want you to think with me here about this metaphor or image of nakedness, that Adam and Eve are now naked and they're hiding and they're ashamed. They're afraid, in Adam's words. They're naked not only physically, but now they're naked spiritually. They are naked before their creator, this holy and awesome and mighty being who made them is now standing before them, and they're naked. Yes, they have their fig leaves covering them, but they're afraid. They're hiding. They're naked, not only physically, but spiritually. And that's a terrifying place to be because they know they have broken God's command here. They've messed up. They are in the wrong, and they know it. And now he's standing before them, and they're naked. They're without excuse. They have no defense with which to offer why they did it, except to blame 
one another and even God and the serpent, they are naked. They are without excuse before a holy God. And so I love God's question here. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? The simple innocence of that question speaks to God as a good parent. God is not coming to blast them in anger and judgment. He's not throwing a temper tantrum. He asked them a question. Who told you that you were naked? And the answer to that question, of course, is, well, no one. No one had to tell Adam and Eve that they were naked because the consequence of eating the fruit revealed to them that they were naked. That was the impact of eating the fruit, right? The eyes of both of them were opened. All this freedom and power and status that the serpent promised the fruit would give them, well, that didn't happen. All it did was open their eyes to realize their nakedness, and it turned them against God and against one another. It alienated them. Instead of making them like God, as the serpent had promised, it only made them less human. Because the truth is, they had already been created in the image of God. They were already like God. And so what Satan promised to them really was, not surprisingly, a total lie. The serpent lied about what would happen to them if they ate of the fruit. And what did happen is that their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and they made a vain attempt to cover their nakedness. And just think about that with me for a moment. Think about that question in your life. Who told you that you were naked? Like Adam and Eve, the answer there is not really another person or someone else. It's really asking, when did you first realize that you were naked? When did you begin to see your sense of human inadequacy and the ways that you fell short of God's standards, the ways that you broke his commandments? When did that first happen to you? I know in my life when I began to see that. For me, it was the years I was in college and those just beyond college that the reality of my nakedness really hit me. Because up until this point in my life, I had labored under this illusion, maybe this self-delusion, that I was this really good, upstanding, moral person. And externally, I'm sure that I looked like that to most people. But what I began to realize and know for myself was that in reality, I was naked, that in terms of me trying to stand before a holy God, that all of those good works and good deeds really amounted to nothing, and that I was spiritually naked before him. And that the truth was, all of my good accomplishments, things like good grades and being the valedictorian of my junior high school class, or being the top 10% of my high school class, or getting scholarships to college, or being an Eagle Scout, all those things that I did and did well were good things, but they were kind of like my carefully sewn fig leaves, right? Trying to cover up my nakedness before God and others. See see what a good person I am. See all these great things that I do. And don't we all do that to some degree? Don't we all have these carefully arranged fig leaves that we try to cover our nakedness with, whether it's these accomplishments, these possessions, this beautiful face and body, these 
wonderful children that I have, this great house that I live in, this awesome job that I have, and the title and the salary that come with it. There are all these ways that we arrange the fig leaves of our lives to cover our spiritual nakedness, to try to prove ourselves to God and to others that we're someone of weight, someone of consequence, someone important, that really we can do it ourselves is sort of the message from all of that. We don't need you, God. We've got these things going on for us over here. We can cover our nakedness ourselves. We can do it ourselves. We can fix this problem by ourselves. And really, isn't this the tragic story of humanity that all of us at some level have failed and that rather than owning up to our failure and just confessing that we, like Adam and Eve, try to cover up, literally try to cover up and not only cover up, but we try to fix it ourselves. We try to find out what those fig leaves are and sew them together and make it better, make it okay. Hey, it's all good. I fixed it. I'm doing good now. And I think the most moving part of the story here in Genesis 3 is at the very end when, in verse 21, God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It's like he rips their fig leaves off. I don't know if he did that actually, but it's in a metaphorical sense. God gets rid of their fig leaves and gives them real clothing. God clothes them with presumably animal skins. And so it would appear here that some innocent animal was sacrificed to clothe Adam and Eve, which of course is totally unfair, right? This animal that didn't sin, that didn't do anything wrong, had to be killed in order to make garments of skin for Adam and Eve. But think about how that points forward to what happens in the rest of the Old Testament where the Israelites have this entire sacrificial system that's based on I sin and a lamb dies. I've sinned against a holy God and now I have to sacrifice an animal on the altar before the priest and be absolved of my sins. That was the entire sacrificial system that God instructed the Israelites to perform. I sin and an animal dies. I sin and a lamb dies. I sin and a lamb dies. And of course, all of that, I believe, points forward to the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Jesus, that God ultimately provides for our nakedness. He clothes us and covers our nakedness through the Lamb of God, through Jesus offering himself willingly on the cross for our sins. Jesus is our ultimate clothing, our provision, in the same way that God gives Adam and Eve a better option than trying to clothe themselves with fig leaves in a similar way, God gives us a better option for life and for salvation rather than us trying to save ourselves through our own efforts, through our own human striving. God offers us a better sacrifice, a better way, a better clothing to cover our nakedness with, and that's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And there's a beautiful image of this in Revelation 3.18 where Jesus is speaking to the church in Laodicea and offering to cover their shameful nakedness with the white garments of salvation. Again, being clothed with salvation, being clothed with the righteousness of Christ. 
As I close today's episode, I want you to consider one final thought. Contrary to every piece of artwork you've ever seen, it is almost certain that Jesus was crucified naked, completely naked. And so here is God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, being exposed, being humiliated, being shamed by his enemies, publicly humiliated, crucified naked. Jesus was stripped bare, crucified naked to cover our nakedness, to cover us in the garments of salvation so we could stop relying on our own futile efforts to save ourselves, our fig leaves. Jesus, the Lamb of God, sacrifices himself, crucified naked, to cover our nakedness, to clothe us in his salvation. That is great news today, and I hope you will take it to heart. This has been The Word is Very Near You. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another devotion.